welcome to the Learning and Performance Podcast, the show where we explore ideas, strategies, and tools for enhancing human learning and performance. I'm your host, Patrick Healy. Learning and performance are inextricably connected. If we can't learn, we can't grow. If we can't grow, we end up hitting plateaus. We repeat the same mistakes, stagnate, and fail to reach our potential. When we improve our ability to learn, we enhance our ability to perform at a higher level. Today, high performance in more and more domains increasingly depends on rapid learning. Whether you're a student, a researcher, professional, an athlete, this show discusses research and practices that you can use to learn faster and perform better. Welcome to another episode of a learning and performance podcast. All right, episode number two. I am super excited today because I'm going to be speaking with Dr. Luke Hobson. Luke is a senior instructional designer and program manager at MIT. He's also an instructor for the University of Miami School of Education and Human Development. And Luke is also the founder of Instructional Design Institute, an online academy dedicated to upskilling instructional designers and helping them advance in their careers. Recently, Luke is the author of the book, What I Wish I Knew Before Becoming an Instructional Designer. I read the ebook and can honestly say there's a lot of things in there that I still didn't know being an instructional designer for, for many years and many others that I wish I definitely knew before becoming an instructional designer. I wanted to chat with Luke today because like me, Luke is a huge online learning nerd. He's designed online programs for MIT for many years, and he's one of the leading voices right now in the instructional design space. On his podcast and in his videos, he's really helping a lot of instructional designers advance in their careers and also people transition into instructional design, especially in the higher ed space. I worked in higher ed myself for many years as an instructional designer, and I think Luke has some really good insights into how to transition into the field of instructional design and how instructional designers can design online courses to help learners learn faster and perform better. So with that, I bring you Dr. Luke Hobson. All right. I'm here with Dr. Luke Hobson. Luke, thanks for coming on the Learning and Performance Podcast. Absolutely, man. Thanks for having me. Who are you and what do you do? So I define myself as a learning nerd. Uh, basically, mm -hmm. I become obsessed with learning and with designing learning experiences as soon as I got introduced to the instructional design field back in 20. 13 or so is when I first heard about it. And then ever since then, I was like, wow, I want this to be my career. And it, it has slowly but surely over time. So I currently, I am the senior instructional designer and PM over at MIT. I teach at the University of Miami uh, in their EDD program. I also have my own instructional design institute and a blog, a podcast, and a YouTube channel and all this other stuff. So I talk a lot about learning and instructional design. It's basically what I do. Yeah, so you're a learning nerd, but it sounds like you you help other people who are uh, to learn who are also presumably learning nerds too. Well, it's so funny. As soon as I started to call myself a learning nerd, and then eventually I started to call the listeners of the show learning nerds. 
And everyone seemed to just like jive with that. They're all like, I am a learning nerd. Thank you for using it in a way that actually like I'm proud of. And it's not like you're making fun of me for being a nerd. It's like, I I don't know. I've somehow found my people who also are obsessed with learning, which is just really funny. So yeah. Yeah. Thank you for articulating my identity as a learning nerd. Yeah, exactly. uh, I'm part of your audience. And I completely agree. Yeah. It's so cool. Luke, I want to start with just a few questions that I ask all of my guests at, at the start. You mentioned you were an instructional designer, you focus on learning and performance quite a lot, facilitating that. How do you define performance? So performance to me is actually the process of doing something live. It is that act of executing something and actually doing it successfully. So when I think about performance, I mean, I'm, I'm a musician. I think about actually going on stage and actually performing and being entertaining and doing everything well and seeing how everything went and trying to be able to evaluate it again the next time around and just keep on thinking about it from that type of moment. So I always think about performance as in you are actually going out and you're doing the thing. We're not just Mm -hmm. talking about it. You're going on stage. You're actually giving the speech. You're going to be presenting to the board. It's, it's the act of actually doing something. Yeah. So people, if they had a camera, they could, they could capture you performing, doing doing the thing. Correct. Exactly. All right. My second question, how about learning? So then learning, which is kind of fun because when I think about from that type of question, like what is learning is like this deep philosophical question of like, (laughs) what does it mean to learn kind of a thing? And of course we can talk about learning from that stance of how there is so much information out there pertaining to learning sciences and neuroscience and, and talking really about that. And the correct answer for you is talking about encoding, storing, and retrieving. That is learning. Mm-hmm. That that is memory that process, <laughs> like, right? That, yep. that is that process, right? But if I want to be able to just describe it in like normal human speak, I think about learning as in you are consuming content and then you are processing that information to be able to figure out what exactly is going on, relating it back into your life, and then having mm-hmm. that opportunity to be able to actually practice and share and apply this new information and then evaluate what you just did and then letting that information sink in over time and then trying mm-hmm. to replicate that and then to do it again and again and again until it does become a part of who you are. That to me yeah. is a very simple way of trying to describe learning. Yeah. So kind of take, taking things in, mulling it over, applying it in some way, getting some feedback, doing it all over again. It's, it sounds like that's the, the, the process that you're describing. I mean, that's certainly the process. And the other yeah. thing is really, and I, I think I just said this too, but just in case if I did, it really is also with practicing. Practice, yeah. That is not a part, especially if in our higher education world or just the world in general of learning development from corporate America, is that Mm -hmm. that's missing. And all your life as a kid, you were told that practice makes perfect. If you were right. learning the piano, you're trying to learn a second language, it's always like practice makes perfect. And then somehow that like kind of goes away as an adult that you were just <laughs> magically expected to do something right the first time. And there's no, yeah. you know, it's like, but wait a minute, did I actually do it right? Because of course, I would argue that the most teachable moments I've ever had in my life is when I just fell on my face and I failed. And I'm like, ah, not going to do that again. Like now I know in the future. So that's a part of learning is to practice. It is to fail and then to take that next type of step afterwards. So that's that have to include that inside of that definition there. How do you see the two relating to each other? So- they do. They, they certainly do relate to one another. It also comes down to as well is what are we actually trying to be able to achieve with the goal? Mm-hmm. 
because you can learn on your own inside of your, so we talked about music for a bit. If I'm just trying to be able to learn about how to play guitar and I am just practicing on my own, I'm just hanging out here. I'm watching YouTube videos. I'm just fiddling around and making mistakes on my, like I'm still learning but it's in the comfort of my own home and I'm just inside of here. Now, the mm -hmm. second that I step on stage, okay. Now I'm performing. Now I should have gotten to that type of level of acquisition of those skills to be able to say, I'm good enough that I can go play in front of people and hopefully they enjoy it. So yeah. there's almost like this type of a relatedness of there has to be something that is behind the scenes of learning that is taking place. And then the performance is, hey, it's showtime. Now go and do the thing. Of course, this is definitely painting with very broad brush strokes and different types of careers are going to have things that might make more one than the same of you know being connected. Because at the same time too, I could certainly make an argument that when I'm teaching my courses and let's say that I'm doing like a live workshop and we're going through the motions of things. Let's say that somebody brings up an idea about something that I never thought about before of like, oh, Dr. Hobson, can you do something in this way? And I'm like, oh, you're right. We could. Let's try mm -hmm. it that way instead. So by that process, I'm learning from listening to the students and then trying to be able to adapt in real time to do something different. And at that same vein, I am performing, I'm doing a workshop, I'm live in front of people. So it can be connected in that type of sense as well. Yeah. So it sounds like the the, the performing is really showcasing what you've learned, but right. there's also some, some overlap between the two, because while you're performing, you're getting feedback from people, you're failing in, in some cases and... <laughs> Uh, learning that way, like, oh, maybe this approach wasn't, wasn't the best, you know, when I, when I step out there on the stage or when I give that speech. There's also a difference too, as far as for what is the purpose of learning something? Because you can also learn, but you're learning just for enjoyment. That, that's, that's entirely possible. I mean, I, I have consumed just hours upon hours from various things throughout history, history channel, the weird history, YouTube channel. Like I just love history. Yeah, I'm yeah. never going to use it. It's, it's, it's never come about. I've never taught a history course. I have no plan on teaching anything with history. So it's just kind of like, that is my own personal enjoyable thing. But by all means, if you want to talk about anything throughout history, I can pull out something from thin air just because of how much I have listened to them from podcasts to YouTube to books to whatever. So that is different compared to if you want to be able to train employees and they have to go and perform something in person or they need to mm -hmm. actually go and execute the thing. But it's like, ah, okay. So it's, it's definitely more about really like what is that goal setting process and how much do you prioritize that? Because as I just enjoy listening to things in the background, it's really not a priority of mine as opposed to when I go and I teach a class, like, yeah, I better know what I'm doing because I, I hate winging things. I like to be prepared. So I do not want to get in front of a virtual room or an in-person room and just being like, yeah, so guys, we're gonna we're gonna talk about this today. Um, let's see how this goes. Like, I yeah, that that has a different type yeah. of level of priority for me. In the workplace context or higher ed, you know, why are we learning this? Well, it's it's to presumably become better at something. Yes, yes, there should be. Once again, there should be a clear goal, which and that's also the basics too of talking about from andragogy, which is essentially the science of how adults learn and how we teach them, where that whole entire piece about there from Malcolm Knowles was talking about the relevancy and the meaningfulness about this entire different type of area of content. If I just go, if it's like the traditional, and I've, I'm sure you've had these professors, I've had them too, where there's this like, let me just tell you about all this stuff. How's it going to be useful for me? Nah, I'll figure it out. Like, 
okay. And you don't figure <laughs> it out. And you're like, and it's not useful for me in any way, shape, or form. Okay, cool, great. You don't want that. You want to be able to actually say, no matter what the circumstances or where they're coming from, trying to be able to relate it to people so that that way they know how what they're learning about is going to solve the problem or help them advance into something or just to make them a better human being, whatever, you know, whatever it is. But they should know about that. They should be alongside you in understanding those goals and together you work towards being able to achieve them. So it's not just one lecturer talking at you. It's working together as a team, which does not get talked about enough in higher ed. Yeah, no, the, uh, the why is sometimes uh, inconspicuously absent yeah. <laughs> from the, from yep. the conversations. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. So Luke, you, you introduced yourself as an instructional designer for people that don't know what, what is an instructional designer? What do you, what do you do? So for a living, I design learning experiences and I get to partner with subject matter experts in order to make this happen. So as we've been talking about, you now know, but I have a background in learning. <laughs> so I take my knowledge about learning and with what I know about how to make learning experiences engaging, relevant, and meaningful for students and learners, and then working with a subject matter expert, I put everything together. And then that's what's going to be able to create the curricula, the resources, the materials, the, the course, the program, the training, the workshop the whatever it is, that is what I focus on to be able to create learning products. That's instructional design in a nutshell. And there's various mm -hmm. parts throughout there pertaining to research, project management, relationship management, technology, learning sciences, and you put all that together. And that's essentially the instructional design field and, and what I do. And you said you got into that in what was it 2013? So I heard about it in 2013. I did not mm -hmm. become an instructional designer in any way, shape or form until like 2016. It took me years to, to break into this field because at the time, and you're, you're going to school for an EDD, right? Within the instructional design space. I teach in an EDD program talking about instructional design. Yeah. In 2013, that did not exist. It, mm -hmm. it was like a mystery of how do I break into this field and every person who I knew within the instructional design space, everybody told me that they accidentally fell into instructional design. That yeah. was like, ah, oh, you know, I was, just, I was working at my organization and somebody asked me, could I lead this workshop and do this training? And then before I know it, my job is now <laughs> instructional designer. It's like, cool. Well, how about for the person who wants to break into the field, they like it what what steps do you take what advice yeah. would you give me and that really it it was only a few blogs out there at the time that even talked about it if you googled instructional design it was chrissy tucker's blog because i think mm -hmm. she made that in like 20 oh, 2006 i don't quote don't quote me on that Sorry, really er, really was, early yeah it yeah. was it was a long time ago <laughs> um and then uh connie malamed uh the e-learning mm -hmm. coach she also She's had her so so those are the two blogs yeah. and then other than that you know there was there was a few things here and there but there wasn't so much stuff out there so it was much more for me trying to network with other people and teach myself and just buy a variety of books that i would talk with instructional designers and would say like what do you recommend if you were to redo your entire journey walk me through from start to finish how can i actually do this and that's mm -hmm. eventually what led me to failing a billion times with interviewing and not knowing what to say and how to do things to eventually on my own learning about udl and bloom's taxonomy and, and then finally getting a job where someone saw my kind of i have a um, background in graphic design so someone saw my graphic design degree and the fact that I was also an academic advisor. So I was advising students on how to go through their own online journey. And someone finally saw a way of putting those two things together to be able to create resources for online students at SNHU. And I 
fell into that. And then that's what finally started me on this journey. Yeah, that's cool. 2013 is the, the same year I got into it too. And, you, and no, you're yeah, right. They, there was like, there was very little. I, I started out, yeah, as a, actually as a, a researcher at the, uh, the IMF in DC. And oh, okay, sure. um, I worked in the, the uh, Institute of the IMF that does training for government officials. And yeah, I, I, I came in there and they did, they did online courses, they did face-to-face -face courses. Um, but as a research assistant, I was, kind of, it was kind of this shadow role where it I wasn't really doing research. I was, I was more helping the economists with the, you know, the teaching materials and the learning materials and, and facilitation. Um, but I could tell it, it wasn't what I had signed up for. And I very much too was that, uh, that accidental instructional designer. And I think that's kind of the norm in the field. It is, which is amazing because right now, if you Google instructional design, there are about 10 sponsored advertisements of instructional design degrees. So you finally get like the organic <laughs> SEO traffic where you're like, okay. Cause everyone now has realized because of obviously the unfortunate events of the pandemic, but that shined a light on online learning, not in the correct way. It was emergency learning, remote learning, whatever. But finally, yeah. online learning kind of got this um, sense of the general population of people saying like, oh, this is a field. And it's like, yeah, like we've we've been around for years, but I'm glad mm. people now know what it is that we do because now yeah. it's given opportunities like with this podcast and for everything else that we do to be able to share more about instructional design and to help other people learn about it so that that way they don't go through the stumbling blocks of how do I do this? What am I doing? There's so many more resources out there now where now I think that people actually have the opposite problem. There are so many instructional design resources that people are like, where do I start? What do I do? Yeah, what? Wait, there's a lot. Is, and it, it's crazy. Like, I can't imagine me 10 years ago having that problem because instead it was, oh man, I can't find anything. What am I doing? Yeah. I'm doing something wrong. There's got to be something out there. And it's like, oh, there's, yeah. So yeah, it's yeah. really interesting to see how our, our field has evolved. Yeah, it's funny. It, it reminds me too of sort of the, um, the evolution of like UX design and to some extent product management where <laughs> stage one, uh, people didn't know what you did at all, basically. It's like, oh, you make things look nice. Well, yeah, but you know, not, not really. But then over time, uh, you know, as more websites came on board, uh, especially like UX design for software, um, <laughs> it just exploded. And then there was, there's so much out there. And I, I see product management too, going through that kind of trajectory now. Oh yeah. And, it, and it's so funny because my wife works in UX. She's a, she's a manager of a, of a UX team. Mm -hmm. And it's so funny to hear her explain about her job when someone actually knows what she does and then opposed to somebody who has no idea. So like my parents, we're, we're going to talk about UX mm -hmm. instead. She'll just be because her like entire job might be focused one day on talking about the layout of one page and the functionality of this button and where it goes to blah. And should that, you know, very, very minute details. And my mom is like, I don't get it. And she's like, ah, I'm a web designer, whatever. I build a website, like trying <laughs> to speak it super general. She's like, yeah, okay, yeah. I get that. And it's like, yeah, okay. That's, that's not what I do, but at least yeah. it's like, it, you know, I, I was trying to figure out for the longest time how to explain to people about instructional design. Because mm -hmm. of course, same thing too, but I, I'm talking with like, when I started to, when I wrote the book, when I uh, created the podcast and I put that out there, well, friends and family saw, and they were like, wait, what do you do? What, what mm -hmm. is this instructional design thing? I'm like, huh, 
yeah, I need to explain this to the to the average person who's not even within education. And even then talking with professors, when I started to be assigned to work with them, same thing. They were like, I have no idea who you are or what you do. I'm like, yeah, all right, let's talk about that, of how I can actually be of assistance and, and help you out more. And there was one day that I went to Market Basket and I was checking out in line and this had to be, it was like an adorable grandma was was like cashing me out and she asked me what I did for a living. And I was just like, oh, I, I'm an instructional designer. And I was shocked because she's just like, I know what that is. My granddaughter does that. And I was like, you're kidding. You're kidding. And I was like, oh my God. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so we, we've come that way for, for and, and I love like, you know, going through different generations, especially for her generation who, you know, talking about online learning, that wasn't a thing. Yeah, it was the furthest no. thing from their mind. And so it's just so cool to see where it's come now. In your time, what have been um, a couple of major lessons that you've learned on how to facilitate learning, I guess, in, in your uh, in your context of online learning, in like what are some, and there's a lot of best, you know, principles sure. and practices, but like, what, what are some of the, the top ones? I mean, the, the biggest thing by far has been how to work with people, because when you learn how to work with subject matter experts, whether professors, facilitators, instructors, trainers, whoever they are, and you be able to work with this person, you get to be able to have more of a say and an influence about what actually goes into the designs of the learning experience. Because you may think that you know the best thing because you're, you're training the arts of how to do instructional design. As you mentioned, you know about best practices, but then there's this thing called the real world. And in the real world, people don't know what you do. So you have to be able to take something of an idea. Let's say that somebody just wants to do a brain dump of a billion things of content and it's going to drown the students. And you're like, oh, like anyone with eyes can see that this is a bad idea. Like we're, we're just, we're, it's not going to go well. Well, then you need to be able to figure out how to have that conversation of being able to say that, hey, all of this content is so enriching, it's fantastic, it's awesome, but we also know that students are only going to be spending roughly about five to 10 hours a week inside of a course. That's the average of what they actually spend. So let's figure out how we can take some of this content and how to give a different type of a spin on it to make them enjoy it. Perhaps it's going to be taking something that was a reading and turning it into a podcast version, or could we combine something to make perhaps, let's do a guest interview and let's do the interview with that person and ask them some of the exact same topics that you want to mention because now it's going to be different so that that way they're still going to be engaged because it's a different type of a medium that's coming into things once you learn how to work with people and how to collaborate and build those relationships with other people you're going to have much more of a say about how things actually go into this and you're just going to learn of course over time too about what actually really works well and what doesn't because mm -hmm. i was never trained on putting podcasts in the courses that wasn't a thing. That was something more along the lines of like, hey, uh, I, I enjoy podcasts. As an adult, I like to learn through podcasting. What about my adult students, right? They're, they're yeah. bound to probably like this, right? And you know, it mm -hmm. took some trial and errors and some pilots to be able to figure out yes or no. But when we actually hit it and it did well, and then all of a sudden hearing from these students of, wow, I've never had a podcast in an online course before. It's like, well, why not? We, we can. Like the people who take my courses are between usually the age of 25 and like 54. Yeah. Why wouldn't yeah. I do that? <laughs> like, you <laughs> right, talked exactly. about like listening to an audiobook before this. Same thing. Well, why wouldn't I create 
my book into an audio book and then give you that option to listen to it instead of saying to assign, I want you to read chapters one through five. If you yeah. want to be able to listen to the audio version, knock yourself out. Here, here's the audible code. It, you know, it, it's being able to do that to transform different ideas. And no matter what you do, the more you talk with people, the more you learn, you can just implement that into your designs and it's going to make something different. And that's what's going to make students say like, oh, Oh, okay. Okay. This is kind of cool. It's not the traditional thing. Whereas for many people, even in 2023, the idea of putting a podcast into a traditional higher education course is mind blowing for some people. Like mm. we've always, no, like we, like we just got to online learning. We still send the textbooks to the students. It's like, <laughs> <laughs> okay, well that's also not that efficient, but like, let's take yeah. this one step further. Let's just keep on trying to support them and making learning more convenient and reducing barriers because the more you can reduce barriers the more the students are actually going to be engaged with the course and want to learn on their own which is like the greatest thing ever to hear that they're going the extra mile and they write to you saying how much they enjoyed something and and can i have more content i want to be able to practice more like that's when you know you did something right as opposed to just like here's my brain dump on my 700 powerpoint slide you'll <laughs> figure it out right like well, yeah well, mm. So you said um, working working with subject matter experts is, is one thing that you do a lot of. What do you say to the faculty member, to the um, to the subject matter expert uh, in a, in a workplace, uh, to some to a teacher who <laughs> who who loves sharing what they know? They have the seven hundred page PowerPoint deck. Um, how do you? What are some things that you do to kind of help them see that? Hey, you know, this might not be as, as effective as if we tried something else. So I love being able to use data to tell a story, which mm. I've been able to do. And I had one person who he refused. He was like, nope, my way, the highway, it's all going into the course. And I'm looking at, and I kept on telling him, I was like, this is not going to go well. I was, I was just very <laughs> honest with them. I was like, I love working with you. Yes, your content's fantastic, but oh man, this is, oh, this is not going to go well. And he's like, nope, it's all essential. It's got to go in. And I'm like, okay. And I was like, mm. well, why don't we do a pilot program? Let's test this idea. And he's like, yeah, sure. We can do a pilot. I was like, all right, thank God. So we did the pilot program and I asked them about how long do they spend inside of a course? And I asked them to be able on a Likert scale of one to 10 to talk about how meaningful was it for them. Was it able to actually help them out for their situation, their journey, their wherever it is. And using that feedback, that is when I was able to be able to then go and present to this person to be able to say, so, hey, remember the goal was like five to 10 hours? Well, <laughs> they're spending 30 hours here, 40 <laughs> hours here. And he's like, oh, I've been, of course, seeing the testimonies from students where even though it's like a big no-no within quantitative research does have like a tell me anything box. People mm. say like, never do that. I do it anyway, because uh -huh. you can you get to hear the student voice and same thing too, where I showed them that, where everyone said that professor so-and-so's course was absolutely awesome. I loved everything, but it was really overwhelming. And you know, the, the content inside of the weeks, like five, six and seven, like, yeah, it, it's, it was all right, but I only needed a snapshot. I didn't need all this. So being able mm -hmm. to incorporate not just your own voice, but then student voice and then add that into the mix, then that's really undeniable. That's, that's when you're like, here's your target audience saying one thing, here's your design teams who like our job is to support you and your learning mm -hmm. experience. And so being able to do that will definitely help. And once again, too, if they have a million things and they really want to make everything in there because that's their passion, they love what it is that they do. Awesome. 
we'll make it a fantastic optional additional resources section inside of your course. I have yeah. those in mind. Yeah. I have a million things inside of there of the, yeah. the book, YouTube videos, podcasts. Like it's it's all there for them, but they can enjoy that on their own time if they exactly. want to be able to do so. And if they want to be able to download something like a like a key takeaway document, a, a guide, a whatever, you can add all that inside of there too. So there's always a way to get around the fact that someone just wants to do a brain dump, but <laughs> it takes some effort to really be able to build that relationship to make that person get to trust you. Because of course, if I was working with a designer right now and they had no idea who I am and I have no idea who they are, why would I listen to this person? Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, this is like, you don't know what I do. You don't know what I teach. You don't know my style. So you got to be able to work with this person over time and really try to find those things that you can cling on to, to say, we have something here. I can build a relationship off of that and to keep on working from there. Yeah. Those two things that you mentioned, number one, sort of using data to show them the, <laughs> the reality of it. You know, it's, I, I think, especially teachers, professors, uh, instructors, they, they love to share, like they love to help people for the most part learn and they want them to be as passionate for their subject as, as they are. But if you show them that, Hey, people are spending 30 hours on this and they're hating it. Well, that's, that's a pretty good, uh, a reality check. Yeah. And then to, yeah, number two, you mentioned, which I love, I do this too, is just optional. N not saying like, no, we can't include this, but we'll include it as optional, you know? Right. And if exactly. people have extra time, they can, uh, they can use this. Yeah, exactly. And then as soon as you get your type of like amazing example from, from doing this so often, then you can go and bring that to the table to show them. So going back to the whole podcast thing for a, a separate project with another professor at that point in time, I already had this MIT podcast that I created that launched was, was out there. And then I told him because we were trying to figure out, and once again, he had a ton of content. And then I was like, Hey, we can turn it into a podcast. And I remember he was just like, you can't turn that into a podcast. And then I was like, Hey, well just take out your phone, go on Apple podcasts, search MIT, and it's going to pop up. And he's just like, I can't, it's like, it didn't even cross his mind. That was, yeah, he's like, <laughs> yeah. That's not real. And I'm like, I, I, I did that. Like, yeah. I am the voice. I was using the garage band. I was editing. Like it was, there was no, I don't, I think some, some people, a podcast is like this magical mystery world where I'm like, it's not that hard. We, we can do this. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. We can figure <laughs> this out. And then that of course went into the class and there you go. And now, now the podcast is, is in there in its entirety and whatnot. And, and same thing that people can just go and pick and choose how they want to be able to learn and consume content. Some will love the podcast. Some won't. And that's fine. Mm -hmm. They give them more options. They're, they're going to enjoy it no matter what you do. Just more options, the more flexibility, the better the experience is going to be. Yeah. I feel like sometimes with uh, subject matter experts, technology is kind of like this big amorphous thing over there. And a lot of them think, no, nah, that's not really for me. I, I have had success doing what I do and I, I don't really want to get into that. Not because I'm not interested in it, just because it's it's a it's a little scary, and you know I'm I'm okay doing what I'm doing. Um, but then when you show them that, well, this actually doesn't take that much effort, and it's it's pretty cool. I, I think they they come around to it sometimes. Yeah, and you just got to give them a helping hand. I yeah. like, I know that some people when I talk about doing podcasts for courses or for or anything technology related, the first thing they think about is that they're doing everything on their own. That is not true. Like mm -hmm. there's a reason why I am on the project. There's a reason why you are assigned to projects. Like it is to help you. It is. Yes. I want you to do the interview 
I'll record it and then I'll do the editing and the mm-hmm. music and the blah, blah, blah. Like, no, I don't expect you to download GarageBand and figure it out yourself. Like, you can. Don't recommend it, <laughs> but you can. Mm-hmm. So you're not doing this alone. I and mean, then that's when usually people are like, oh, okay, I'm on board. You're you're in my corner. I'm like, yes, I'm in your corner. Like, you know, it's just that kind of stuff. But I get it because most people, of course, especially if in education, that we ask the sun and the moon and the stars of everybody and we don't pay them more. And it's just like, you do it. And that's eh, not not always that great. So yeah. good at, yeah, education, good at, at addition, but bad at subtraction sometimes. You got it. You yeah. got it. Yeah. Yeah. So you've designed a lot of learning experiences in, in your career. Think about the the best learning experience that you've you've designed. What was it? And why do you, either the process or the, or the people, what, what do you think made it so effective? When I came in to the University of Miami, I was told that I can go and I can update the course and I can, I can add in my own whatever. And I remember I looked at the original version of the course and knowing about how I like to be able to do things, videos, podcasts. I am also, and as you've been listening to this show, I'm an eccentric person. I'm loud. I like to be able to bring energy. I've had like five cups of coffee today. Like I have a different twist on things. And especially for someone who thinks about an educational program, I'm sure they think about the monotone, boring professor kind of, you know, the stereotypical mm-hmm. thing. And I'm like, no, like it's, it's gotta be fun and different. And it's gotta really connect with these people. And for that class, I basically pulled out every single stop I had every, every tool in my toolkit. I'm like, I'm just going to throw everything at them and the best of ways <laughs> in order to make them be like, whoa, this is different because I knew that many of them wanted to become instructional designers or they're already instructors or teachers. And they wanted to be able to take some ideas and bring it back into their classroom. So before the class even began, I had a type of a pre-assessment form inside of there of basically tell me everything about you. What are your goals? What are your dreams? What are your aspirations? What have you already gone through inside of the program? What do you hope to be able to learn? What's currently Mm -hmm. missing? I took all of that. And then I actually built the curriculum with them week by week, which Mm. at first this freaked them all out because it was only opening up in a weekly cadence. And I had some of them being like, but, but professor Hobson, I need, I need the readings for, for week two already and week three. I'm like, well, cool, but I don't have it yet because I haven't built it yet. So like, we got to do this together. And eventually as people started to see that I was only pulling in articles from literally like that year, like, oh, oh, this is, I said, yes, I'm, I'm pulling in everything that's happening right now. And like, yes, of course, I had things in the wings. Obviously, I, I had, it wasn't just literally a clean slate and there was nothing there. There was obviously the original, um, uh, original master shell that had whatever. So it was never like that, but it was more about, I kept on listening and hearing to them because then when I was creating the videos and I was creating the learning strategies and the assessments and putting all those things together, I was listening to them to be able to hear about where they were coming from. Some of them came from K through 12. Some of them were coming from government agencies. Some of them mm. were within higher education. So I'm not just going to take that prior knowledge and those that information and be like, eh, that's nice. I'm teaching you what I want. It's like, right. no, I've been, yeah. then I'm going to create multiple scenarios where we're going to be having a K through 12 person background and a higher education background. So that entire thing, I mean, of course, doing weekly workshops and learning and hearing from them for their feedback. I mean, eventually they were building and designing their own learning experiences, reviewing one another's and like, you know, all this fun stuff. Yeah. And that was so cool. That was, that was the first class I've had before where I felt like I built it with the students because that was like, Ooh, this is, this is different. And then that eventually helped me 
with everything. Like for going forwards for teaching, I was like, I'm always doing this. I will always yeah. have a pilot program. I, I will always do this. I will always do that. And everything that I've done since then, I always think about that first term teaching. And I actually have some of these same students. I'm teaching them a new course coming up, which is going to be amazing to be like, welcome back. You, you thought you only had me for one course. <laughs> you were wrong. <laughs> you were. <laughs> we're doing it again. <laughs> yeah. You're back, huh? <laughs> right. Yeah. 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 That's so cool. Yeah. I think... You know, in instructional design, we talk a, a lot about being learner centric or do, doing like a thorough learner, learner analysis yes. up front, right? Yes. Um, but I feel like sometimes that is just, you know, you, you get some information on the learners and you see who, you know, who's in your course. But then a lot of subject matter experts don't really do anything with that. It's like, oh, this person's, you know, 33 years old coming from, from, from workforce or, you know, this is a college student, but then if it doesn't, if it doesn't impact your design, did you really do the analysis? I don't, right. <laughs> right. I, no, but what I love, what I love about that is you actually use the information mm. and use that to on the fly inform your design. That's really, that's really cool. It was, it was really cool. And then I learned about a drawback of that very quickly because at the end <laughs> I got COVID and I oh. was, I was down and out. I was like, students, I'm so sorry. I can't talk. I can't get out of bed. Like I, I, I'm going to figure this out, but like, I'm not doing great. Uh, so luckily I had built enough things ahead of time, but whatever. But that was an interesting uh, revelation to hear about. Oh yeah. Doing things on the fly does not always mean the, the best of things. So having a, a plan B is, is so crucial, but I also interviewed past students of the program too, to hear about what they enjoyed the most out of that course and what was missing or how to be able to improve it. And that was also super interesting because then I could tell them about how, Hey, in the future, this is what your, your fellow cohort members and, and um, you know, and fellow classmates are saying that they wish they knew about this, or they wish that they covered more of blah. And most of the time it was always talking about more hands-on experience. Yeah. Shocking doing. thing. Yeah. Everyone's like more hands-on experience. And I was like, okay, like, well, I was already planning on doing that no matter what, but like, yeah, congrats. The final project is now you're building a learning experience, like mm -hmm. as you should be. And then you should indeed be building it in the learning platform. And then you should be getting that evaluated. <laughs> like uh, you should be getting feedback. And I know that sounds like for anyone listening at home, it's like, that's a no brainer. It's an instructional design course. <laughs> you should be doing that. And yes. But once again, in the real world, many people don't do that. And they yeah. just talk about theories and models and processes, but then they never actually give you the opportunity to go and practice the thing, which is wild because I, I feel like that's what so much of education is, is basically like the do as I say, not as I do. So yeah. here's this incredible theory. It's so great. You're going to definitely use it in the real world. And then you get in the real world and you're like, I don't have a clue about how to do this. Yeah. I, Mm -hmm. I can tell you about the the definition and the fundamentals, but when you bring me into a meeting and say like, go run the show, talking about performance, go go run the show, lead the meeting, work with the subject matter expert, and people are just like, I have no idea. Like, uh oh, no, hmm. yeah, well, we missed is, something. This is this is not good. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, the, no, well. yeah, the, the, yeah. The no brainer turned into being a no a no hander. <laughs> yeah, in terms yeah. of uh, and just no practice. All right. So, so it's got to be inside of there. Um, so yeah, so that was like by far one of the most fun projects I've ever been a part of. And then that in turn led me to creating instructional design Institute of taking those same ideas 
have been saying like, well, this is awesome. I got to do this more. I, I need I need to replicate this more and to be able to to help and to share this with aspiring IDs and instructional designers who are currently within higher education who are already taking these types of professional development lessons and how does that actually help them? So it is completely influenced how I teach and how I design everything now with that one one project. So yeah, yeah, that that's cool, Luke. On the flip side, can you tell me about? a time that you thought that you failed? Oh yeah, I was just gonna say, yeah. I fail all the time. I, I think if you if you listen to any of my YouTube videos or my podcast episodes, I talk about failing constantly. I mean, it's just, it's just, I feel like my entire instructional design journey has been me falling forwards, like literally falling on my face. I've been repeatedly being like, whoop, like so talking about how to introduce myself to subject matter experts and learn that from failing a million times. And I was like, mm. Mm, I, should, mm, I probably should not do that anymore. And then same thing too, we're trying to be able to have uh, an actual successful design for building it inside of a learning product and failing about that. But like really the, the thing that I think about though, is like, if I had to think about like an entire time of failing, just like, and like, and actually like, like legit, like really, really failing, not just like, Oh, it's kind of bad, but like, no, like you're literally burning that bridge. It's like, it's dead. It's, it's like moving on. I would honestly say that it was like a good part of my twenties. Like, mm me as a human being was not great <laughs> for, a lo- for a long time. I, I just struggled, man. It, it did not go so well. I did not have a sense of purpose. I hated my work. Uh, mm. I, I hated, I was in toxic relationships. It, there was a huge part of my life where, and I, unfortunately I have like some of those apps that like share memories with you of like, on this day in, in 2014. And I'm like, I don't need to remember that. You're day. like, Oh yeah. I'm good. Like, I'm, Stop I'm, showing I'm, me this. Yeah. I'm all sad. Yeah. That, that, that day was trash. Like, no, 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 no. I didn't. So I got like, like, deleting everything. And, and there's definitely plenty of those moments where I look back and I'm like, Ooh, like, yeah, that really like, and it, and it finally, it actually happened to me from a, um, I'm like a, a health and a fitness perspective where I was trying to walk up the stairs one day at work and where I work in a, at the time I worked in a very, very old mill building. So there was like a million steps to go up and down and the mm. elevator was super small. So taking the stairs and I finally reached like the top of the stair on the fourth floor. I thought I was going to die. Like mm. I was so exhausted and get, I couldn't breathe. Right. And I was like, okay, dude, like you're, you're in your early twenties and uh, you're extremely overweight. You're not doing that well. Like you probably need to make some life changes to like, mm. hopefully get things back on track. So, so that was my nice wake up call to say like, okay, time to get your butt in the gym, time to figure things out. And luckily that changed the trajectory of things, but it, uh, yeah. So I'm going to give you an answer. It was a good, good chunk of my twenties that, mm-mm. Not great. <laughs> yeah, not great. No, you're not. You're not alone there. That's. Uh, yeah. I, I think we all go through those those phases of just not our best looks and not our best uh, uh, kind of pasture of life. No, and it's also weird too because that's and uh, the, the the brain doesn't develop until later on too. Not to mention, which is like super fantastic. It's like make all your big life decisions, and your brain's not fully developed. <laughs> yeah, that's that's super great. Yeah, because as I told you before, I, I was a graphic designer. Didn't like it. Like, why did I pick this career? Like, wait, why did I pick this thing? Which I remember, I, I don't know how you decided your major in, in college, but basically mine was this like, hey, Luke, you're attending college. You got to pick something. Here's a list. Mm-hmm. And it's like, huh, what sounds cool? Hmm. Graphic design. That sounds fun. <laughs> and that's literally what I did. And yeah, it's like, yeah. no one thought of, hmm, that's a bad idea before you go into thousands of dollars of debt. Maybe you should think about this. Hmm. And I, I don't know. And of course, the same thing too. I bet if anyone tried to convince me about a different change or whatnot, I'm sure I wouldn't have listened. It, it was yeah. a, 
it was a lost cause. You were a different finish. Luke then. Yeah. I was a very, very different Luke then for sure. It was, I would have never listened. Uh, but the problem was also that I was good at that. So that was an issue because mm. I sucked at graphic design for years. And then finally things started to click. And then I, I learned, and then all of a sudden I was like one of the best in my class and I'm like, Oh no, this, this wasn't the goal. I was just trying to get this degree and figure out my next thing. And now I'm like, oh, I guess I'm going to try this. And then working with clients and being mm -hmm. like, oh God, oh, this is weird. Like, I don't know how to set an hourly rate and, and how do I work with a client who clearly wants one thing and they don't want another thing, which shockingly turned into a really great training for how to work a subject matter expert. I'm sure. Yeah. I was going to say, yeah. similar. <laughs> but, but once again, early twenties, Luke, Evan, now mid thirties, Luke, very different person. So yeah. 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 Interesting. This might be an unfair question because in my experience, instructional designers don't really have a, a set schedule every day, but what, what is your um, routine look like? I mean, I do. So you, oh, you do. So you, yeah, your question is totally fair because okay. so going back from uh, that low point of being like exhausted and just out of shape and whatever, I luckily started to become obsessive health and fitness, and that never went away. Um, which you know, I say obsessed can be taken in the wrong way, in a healthy way of mm -hmm. liking health and fitness, yeah, right, right, and that never left. So like starting off my day is essentially like you know waking up with uh, quiet time having coffee, just kind of just like zoning out for a second and, and hanging out with the family. And then from there, it's having more coffee and then going to the gym and then doing that for about like an, an hour and a half or so. And then mm -hmm. coming back and then starting with whatever type of creative idea that I might currently have for that day, blog, podcast, course, whatever. I write a lot and I, I always have. So it's documenting a lot of those things. And then it's doing my normal nine to five and then most likely writing and working more for doing workshops in the evening or figuring things out from there. So that is never wavered and you might swap out a, a gym day or two for more mm -hmm. uh, podcast episode recordings early in the morning or something like that. But, but that's always my structure is to make sure that's in place because I found very quickly that the better I'm going to be doing as far as for actually moving and exercising and eating right and all that stuff, mm -hmm. it really does play a tremendous factor to how you perform. Cause yeah. If, if I'm just, and, and by all means, I like energy drinks and other things that are not, I'm so I'm not the <laughs> pinnacle of health. Don't get me wrong here. But I, I mean, even just like not having alcohol as much. Oh my God. Like not, not waking up with a hangover is a great thing. Mm. I just, cause I just don't drink alcohol anymore. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I like, don't either. Yeah. Yeah. I was just like, man, I, I, I get like a two day hangover. I was like, I don't, I'm good. I have too much to do. Like, I don't, I don't want to feel like crap every day. I want to, like, I actually want to, you know, excel and, and do better. Yeah. And that's really one of the things that I was talking about. So I started going down this path about how actually does exercising and eating right influence the brain. And I read a book by, um, uh, there's a book called Spark, Dr. John Rady uh, mm. from Harvard. Yep. And do you know him? Say so you worked at Harvard. I, I don't know him personally. Oh, okay. I've, I've, I've read the book though. Oh, you read the book. Oh, I fantastic. did. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I, mean, I mean, that was so amazing to hear, especially the section talking about brain derived neurotropic factor. Or yeah. B BDNF. BDNF. Yeah. Man. When I read about that and hearing about how even just doing anything, just for moving for like 20 minutes of how much better that makes you as a human being. It's like, I got to do this more. So that, that became the let's keep going. Like, yeah. Let's how much can I actually push this where the, the healthier I'm going to become the more output I essentially have for my creative juices and, and trying to be able to do all the things that I do. And I've never quit. That's, yeah. that's been the thing. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. I, I think I'm pretty structured myself and I, th I think some people 
view structure is kind of like this rigid thing where you can't change it. And it's just, it's just annoying, right? You know, you want, you want the freedom, you want the flexibility, but for me, and it sounds like for you too, having structure in some areas of my life allows me to be creative and, and, um, opens up free, free space for me in my, in my work. Like I, I have a pretty similar schedule and, um, yeah, it's just, you could tell the difference. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And, and of course too, but it's not to say that if something pops up that we don't know how to pivot, like it, having the structure is super helpful, but at the same time too, you have to learn. And one of the phrases that I use is that I learned to thrive in chaos. If, mm-hmm. if things are going crazy, it's a dumpster fire. It, it's madness. I can be okay. Like, yes, this will be crazy, but then I'll kind of go back to my routine and have my thing. And then I'll go back and I'll jump into the fray and be like, yeah, I'll figure it out. So, and that's super normal, especially if in higher education, like you, you think that you're going to have this very mundane lifestyle and structure. And it's always typical that instructional design is not like that at all. I mean, I've had everything change. You can possibly have changed in a pot uh, on a project from having <laughs> your, your budget cut to your yeah. SMEAT is quitting on you. And you're like, mm, cool. Now what? You know? like, yeah, there's yeah, so many yeah. things that get thrown at you that if you would say like, I can't handle this, I don't know how to deal with change. Well, like you got it. Like that, that is a part of design. It is, mm-hmm. it is not linear. It is not straightforward when we're in like, you know, we, we mentioned talking about this right before the podcast, you were talking about Addy, right? I was talking about the Addy process yeah. and the Addy process is not this perfectly linear line. And you're like, Oh, it's just so easy. You go from the analysis phase to the design phase and it works. It's, that's not how it works. Like you have an idea, you start to rock and roll with that. You, you get a, a prototype. All of a sudden this new information comes in. You're like, Oh, go mm-hmm. back to the drawing board. All right. I'm going to fix this again. And you keep on it. And that's how it really works. So you have some bit of a structure and some fundamentals about how to process and you have an idea, but you also got to learn to adapt and just to keep on going with the rolling with the punches. Yeah. For those that don't know, Addy is an instructional design framework and Luke started to, to, to list it. It's, it's analyze, design, develop, implement, and evaluate. And the, the joke in the instructional design space is like, we're all taught Addy, but no one actually, <laughs> no one actually uses it. Or if we do use it, it, it generally doesn't turn out super, super well. I, I always kind of view it as, as you said, kind of like that that scaffold where you're. It's good to keep in mind, but it is most instructional design is very iterative, and there's going to be a lot of failure in, in the process. And, and it all depends too upon the stakeholders, the organization, how much time do they actually want to be able to give to you? How much energy, how much resources, how much budget is put to the project? There's a number of factors that go into things. And I know that uh, one person reached out to me and she was just like, Luke, I want to do analysis more. She's like, but you don't understand. Like my boss needs this thing yesterday. It's, it's not there. I know. And I'm like, I get it. And you get to do what you got to do. Don't mm-hmm. get me wrong. But also, when you then have to go back to the drawing board and you're redoing the same project six months later because it wasn't right the first time, like maybe that's a talking point. Yeah, right. <laughs> Bringing exactly. that up to say, hey, look, it didn't do great. What if we just spent a little bit more time <laughs> trying to work on things? Because I mean, I mean, going back to the the course at Miami, if I didn't have, if I didn't do that, and I was like, meh, it's designed. Well, you know, whatever. Just just take it. It's like. I would have completely missed the mark a hundred percent on so many needs of why those people were taking the class in the first place. And you, you gotta, for at least from an educational perspective, like I, you have to do that needs analysis. You, you have to be able to figure that out and know your learners and your target audience. And you just, you just do or else yeah. it doesn't go well. There's no, um, 
perfect learning experience. It all yes. depends on the all depends on the context. Because you're right, it would be, yeah, it would be great if we could do that. But there's no budget, or there's no you know enough people, or yeah, in this context, it might just not work. Yep, yeah. exactly, exactly. Luke, we're almost out of time, but I, I wanted to end with just um, a few rapid fire questions. Does sure. that sound good? Let's do it. Cool. All right. So if you didn't do what you do now, what would you be doing? I would be a doctor in the medical field. I, I always find it fascinating. The medicine, surgery, I've always found it super fascinating. So I would 100% be a doctor. I've, I've always uh, just enjoyed it. I don't know. E even like going to the doctors as an adult, like I will chit chat with them about different things. Like I see mm. a neurologist because my head decides that it likes to kill itself all the time, which is super awesome uh, mm. to be able to get, deal with constant migraines. But like we talk about things. It's just, it's so interesting to me to hear from that. And I, that's why I'm starting to like more about learning sciences and neuroscience and go down into that road because I'm so curious more about with anatomy and physiology and how all this stuff actually does work. Mm. And yeah, I, if I had to do it over again, I would, I mean, that's, I, I would 100% be a surgeon or go down that road. I absolutely would. I don't know. I'm crazy. I guess I like school. I don't know. Yeah. You're <laughs> learning nerd there. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> if you had to get a tattoo with a short phrase or a quote, what would it be? So it's easy to answer because I have one. I have a tattoo on my back that says, hold out your hand and lean upon me. And it's uh, a bunch of roses. My mom's name is Rose. So it's just signifying that whatever happens in life, I'll always be there for my parents and, and my family. So mm. there you go. What's something that you're currently excited about? AI. I'm in the world of AI. I am in the trenches with learning more about and not just chat GPT, but really how much more this can take higher education and where this can push our boundaries from mm. adaptive learning to learning analytics, to being able to design learning experiences in different types of ways. I am just so curious about where this can go. And the more and more research I do, the crazier the rabbit hole becomes. And I, I am just fascinated by what people are able to do and where this could potentially take us. Uh, I mean, like the biggest thing that I've seen recently that no one's talking about, which I'm like, how is no one talking about this? So I got to, I need to make some content around this. Uh, do you know the YouTuber Shalma? That mm -hmm. name ring a bell? So Shalma became popular because he is a, a, essentially like a, a brilliant linguist, if you will. He, he mm -hmm. knows many, many, many languages and he became viral and all of his videos are basically talking about how like white guy surprises people by speaking in Chinese. So what he, what he does is that like he goes to shops and restaurants where he is like the only white guy inside uh -huh. of there and he'll do something really silly or weird that gets all the employees to talk about him behind his yeah. back, but they'll do so in a different language. In the other language. Yeah. And then surprise, surprise, he can speak Mandarin. You know, like, <laughs> he just, he'll just throw it out there and, and millions of views online and, and Shalma NYC is his, is his YouTube channel. Okay. We'll throw and, it in, in the show notes. Yeah. Yeah. So he though just is working on a prototype right now using AI to create a language tutor. And mm. it is amazing what it's been able to do so far from some of the videos that he has produced with it, where he is able to go and speak to it as far as for using basic language, whether in English or in whatever the language he's trying to be able to learn about. And it can correct him and it can be able to give him feedback and to say like, good job. You need to be able to emphasize this. You need to be able to say this. And then you could also even throw a curveball at it where he'll just be like speaking very, very basic Mandarin and like screwing up intentionally. And then all of a sudden he goes full blown conversation mode and takes a deep dive and it recognizes mm. it and picks it up and is able to talk back to him and not in a way that sounds like a robot, but in a way that sounds like a person. 
and he's able to actually have that conversation with it. And he's thinking about how, and of course he's a language tutor himself. He teaches people about how to speak languages. So he's not trying to replace people in this, but what he's saying about more about how you can go to your language course, interact with other people. But then when you want to go home and you practice, mm. it's not just you reading to no one in a right. room with a book. Now you're actually practicing with something to give you feedback. And then you can go and take that and you keep on doing it again and again and again. And that is mind blowing to me because if we can take that and if we can put that inside of communication courses, debate courses, public speaking, yeah, interviewing. Abs absolutely. Oh my God. Why not? You know, so th that is like, ah, so yeah, I'm interested in AI. <laughs> uh, yeah. You just got me. You just got me excited that's too. Going. Yeah. That's yeah. focus. That's just focus on the doing. Exactly. Oh, it's just crazy. It's just so crazy. So, and, and especially have you tried learning a language before? Uh, Spanish in my teens, uh, but it, it was in school and it did not, <laughs> did, did not go super well. Right. Of course. Of course. As most, most people, I, I've tried learning Japanese several times. I have failed every single time. I just never have time. I, I found an excuse after excuse, whatever. And that, this makes me wonder where I'm like, Hmm, if I do work with my tutor and then I actually have a chance to practice and also not to mention too, that like Japanese and English are like nowhere similar. So like, mm -hmm. I'm lost. Even reading a textbook, I'm like, mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. If I'm saying this right, you know. So, I, mm, super curious. Very, very curious. To see where this yeah. is going to go. It's still in the prototype phase. I signed up for the mailing list of I get I get updates, but I'm like, man, when this thing comes out, I don't know. Yeah, maybe I'll try know. Spanish part two. You do Japanese yeah. try three or whatever. Uh, yeah, <laughs> never know, never know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have to say, I'm, I've been pleasantly surprised by, uh, especially ChatGPT and the large language models that with Google and Wikipedia, I feel like I can learn plus, I mean, plus YouTube too. I, I feel like I, I can just learn anything these days. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the world is your oyster. You have access to chat GPT, to Google Bard, to yeah. whatever thing Apple's secretly working on that they don't talk about, but they, they totally are. That's uh, it sounds like Apple. Yeah. They're <laughs> definitely working on something. Uh, Microsoft released theirs, you know, with the, the new, which I, I still can't wrap my head around using Bing. Like it's, it's, when I, when I think about Microsoft, I'm always just like, oh, that weird outdated thing that no one liked. Yeah. Yeah. I think they I should want... re probably rename it. Yeah. I'm like, yeah. And pe and, and some people ask me like, have you used this yet? And I'm like, why? I mean, they're like, it's actually good. I'm like, oh, all right. Yeah. They, they, they need to do a rebranding because no, I'm never going to say, yeah. have you binged that yet? <laughs> no. <laughs> it doesn't, it doesn't, doesn't flow off. off. Yeah. I was thinking, mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. What about to, on the flip side? What's something that you're currently worried about? AI. Mm-hmm. <laughs> say, say more again <laughs> just just keep on going so yeah. of course the everything too about ai that has me in one sense super duper excited about the future also has me recognizing the fact too that there are so many things that ai can do that we don't really know about yet until someone actually does it and then you're like oh Mm. Oh, that's the thing. So th there's almost like this unknown at the same time too, talking about concerns of ethics and privacy and plagiarism and you know, all these different things that we 100% need to be very, very aware of and very careful about. But the huge thing that is a concern to me is that no one knows, best of my knowledge, no one knows of an actual way to be able to regulate this in an effective and a fair way. And I certainly do not trust our government in any way, shape or form to be able to say that this is the use is this should not be the use. Cause that's not how our government works. There's corruption, surprise, mm. surprise. And of course, not to mention too, that many people do not understand how to use 
anything related to AI. Um, I, I think about the the trial with Zuckerberg and yeah. having, uh, <laughs> you know, people asking questions, and it's the like the the dumbest, weirdest. It's just like that's um, that's that's not a real question. Like it's yeah. that, it's how do you make yeah. how sense. do you make money? Uh, we sell we sell ads, Senator. <laughs> yeah, it's just. <laughs> so. It's, it's, it's pain. Size. So no, so I don't trust those people. Like no way, no way do I trust those people to learn about how to do that. You know, so is there a way about that? Um, so I definitely have some concerns about this because there should be things in place, but I really think it should be the nerds to figure this out yeah. and not the government. But yeah, is that how there. that's going to go? You know, I don't know. Even even seeing the um, the petition from from musk and from um uh, uh the the, uh, the, the big one and, yeah, yeah yeah and all those other ones too talking about how like we need to slow things down and we need to do this and this and we need to get a, a you know a actual control on things yes but also smart enough to recognize too by telling the competition to slow things down that increases their likelihood where they can ramp things up and then yeah. to create competitors so i don't believe anyone so now I'm a conspiracy theorist with my tinfoil hat sitting in my office being no, like, it, no, it oh makes no. sense. It's, it's, I mean, who, yeah, who benefits, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So that, that definitely is raising concern. I'm also concerned too about how little people know about AI and they're so quick to blame as far as for it's going to demonize it, weaponize it. It's evil. It's bad. It's whatever. And sure, sure. Plagiarism is a concern. Yes, mm. it can do all of these different things, but plagiarism has been around for forever. That's right. not going away. So we should be trying to solve the problem of the temptation to cheat versus this new type of technology that can make cheating faster. Let's let's talk about that because yeah. it, and there's and there's some things too that yeah it, it, I'll, I'll go on a rant for like two hours here because like if i really wanted to be able to if you're really thinking about plagiarism it, it set aside ai for a second course hero has been around for forever and then if i was actually working on something and i really needed someone to be able to go into to work on some type of a paper or do whatever you tell me that i i can't go on upwork or fiverr and hire someone to to build the product or to do the paper or to do it again. right you can always cheat like that's that's, and it's not going to leave as far as for cheating after academics. You can talk about how people steal ideas from one another at work and they present it as their own. I and mean, that's what's mm -hmm. going to get their promotion. So it's always been around. It'll always be forever here. So let's not think about this as far as for a cheating tool. Let's think more about what we can actually do with this and how we can do good with it within the educational world. But many, many, many people will never think that way because it's they, they got the first glimpse of reading an article about the concern about it, about the plagiarism issue, about how it's going to replace you and your job. And that's all they're going to think about. So yeah, many, many concerns. You can become the next, the next boogeyman. Exactly. It yeah. already is. Yeah. It, it, you know, and from the, which is so funny because we can read stories about people being afraid of calculators <laughs> to people being afraid of ballpoint pens to, you know, like I remember when Ask Jeeves came out, that scared my teachers to death. Yeah. It's like, yeah. Like watch me <laughs> magically pull up information yeah. on this shiny screen that you don't know what it is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, Who is this ah. Jeeves and what can you ask him? <laughs> yeah, like, what you, like, I can ask him anything. Like just watch. And, like, yeah. and, and of course, once the and teachers learned to adapt, they learned how to use the internet. They learned how to type. Like yeah. I remember all of this back in sixth grade when this became a thing. And, and we're going to do that same way. We're going to get there. We're, we're going to figure out a better type of a system, a plagiarism detection software, which currently does not exist, by the way, at this mm. 
capacity market opportunity yeah yeah some people claim that they that that zero gpt does the thing and that nope it doesn't telling you right here right now i've i've beaten every system that exists um (sighs) to be able to so doesn't work shocking fyi uh so there's not a product out there that does do everything correctly but we had turn it in which came about was able to figure out the papers that are being submitted from course hero to be able to say that oh mm, that's that that links up to that so we're gonna get there again but Yeah. yeah Yeah, yeah, we're not there the, yet. The, uh, yeah, the tools change, but human nature generally just, just not. <laughs> or, or, or change as fast. Yeah. 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 Yeah, you got it. Um Luke, my uh my last question, what what's your next project? What are you what are you thinking about these days? I mean, I'm working on another book. Uh, I don't know why. I uh, that was not the plan. I just started to make a blog post and that blog became 70 <laughs> pages. <laughs> I was like, uh-oh, yeah, <laughs> I guess. Yeah. So apparently I'm writing another book. I I don't know. Um, and I and I know that like, I literally looking like I am stressed out because I, I have no idea what to do with this. Mm. Uh, I, I'm going to make it a blog post. It's going to be huge, but that was not the original intention, which is not how I do things. I, I always have my goal. I yeah. work my way backwards. This kind of just like fell into my own lap of my own devices of just being like, I can type in more. I can help out more people. And then, yeah. oh, ooh, great. So, can, you, can, can you say the topic or no? Uh, so it is a A to Z guide of if you want to become an instructional designer, here's what you do. Cool. So, yeah, so it starts first with talking about study techniques, talking about andragogy for once mm. again, how adults learn, um, how effective it is to be able to go and join like masterminds, study groups, networking, yeah. how all those things come together, which many people don't talk about with learning a new skill. It, mm-hmm. it seems, especially within our instructional design space, it seems to be more about, oh, you want to learn about instructional design? Bloom's taxonomy. Let's talk about Gagne. Let's talk about Merrill. Addy. Backward design. Uh, yeah, all the concepts. Rightfully, mm-hmm. right, rightfully so. All very important. But for many adults out there, this is the first time that they've, they're have trying to learn and they haven't in years. When was the last time you actually dedicated yourself to go back to school? It's mm-hmm. It's been forever for some people. So you need to learn the basics and not just take what you learned about from college from back in the day or high school <laughs> and you bring it back like cramming and you're like, oh, let me just try this again. It's like, all right. There's, there's much, much better ways of doing this. So that's the first part of the book. And then it goes into more of all, all those concepts I just talked about with different ID models and theories and processes and blah, 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 blah. So then explains mm-hmm. all about that. And then going into as well too, about talking about from portfolio, job searching. So everything I like ever produced content on over the last four years, I'm trying to condense into another book. My first book did a decent job at that, but this might be that next thing to really help people because- Every time that I hear from a new instructional designer, it's always, where do I start? It's, yeah, and, and, and sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's just like, I bought this book. I'm in this class. I'm doing this thing, but I'm still lost. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, of course, because it's one resource out of a, a world of information now. So let's let's help give you a guide. So that's now the the thing I'm working on. Very cool. Well, it sounds like you're going to be busy. You're going to need some more of those energy drinks. <laughs> I'm always busy. There's always something. So I'm I'm yeah. luckily walking distance from a Dunkin' Donuts. Oh, That's, very nice. That is my real secret. And everyone's just like, what's your secret? I live next to a Dunkin' Donuts. That's, oh, that makes sense. That's it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're you're in uh, New Hampshire, Massachusetts. There's probably a Dunkin' every, uh, every block. Every three seconds. Yeah, yeah, I, can, yeah. I can walk that way. There's Dunks. <laughs> I can walk behind me. There's another Dunks. So yeah, I'm, I'm good. Yeah. <laughs> Well, cool, Luke. Uh, thank you so much for for joining me. I had a really good conversation, and um, 
where can just uh i call this the plug zone where can people go to learn more about you so if they go to drlukehopson.com, you'll find all my information from the book, the YouTube channel, uh, my seven-week instructional design boot camp called Instructional Design Institute. All of that's inside of there. And if you just Google Dr. Luke Hobson, I'll pop right up. So cool. DrLukeHobson.com. Yes. And you have to put the doctor in there because I'm not the swimmer who's breaking every record in Texas. I'm not the actor from Netflix. I'm not the new up and coming baseball player. <laughs> you'll, you'll see the learning nerd and be like, oh, that guy. So that guy. it's very clear. Yeah. Got it. Well, Dr. Luke Hobson, thank you very much. Yeah, of course. Thanks for having me, man. Appreciate okay. it. Man, I really enjoyed that chat with Luke. Luke is such a extroverted, fun-loving, energetic guy. He is always doing interesting things, chatting with interesting people, introducing me to interesting people, and just generally be being a voice in the instructional design and learning space. I especially liked in the conversation Luke talking about generative AI and what it could mean for the instructional design space. In just a short few months, really, since, since ChatGPT and other Gen AI tools came out, I've seen them really infiltrating the uh, the instructional design space. I know quite a few people using them and using them pretty well. Uh, Devlin Peck is a big voice on this. Luke has put out some, some stuff out there. I personally have used them to to great effect in creating scenarios, helping to write learning objectives, and so many other small small things uh, in terms of project management. And I can only see designers and other professions just using them more as we advance not only text tools, but also image generation tools for online learning. Um, I, I'm really eager to see where this space goes. It's changing every day, and I think it will really transform the instructional design space. If you liked hearing from Luke, I highly recommend you check out his podcast. Like me, he releases, I think, on a, on a monthly cadence, and he brings in professors, designers, people in L&D, a bunch of folks to talk with him about instructional design. Luke also has a YouTube channel and runs Instructional Design Institute. So if you're interested in becoming an instructional designer or joining a group of instructional designers, expanding your portfolio, especially within higher ed, really recommend checking out Luke's Instructional Design Institute. That's it for this episode and see you next month for another exciting episode of the Learning and Performance Podcast. Okay, learners, over to you. What's one thing that you took away from this episode? Take a moment and just make a mental note of one big idea, strategy, or tool. Give it a try and see what difference it makes. And then feel free to share your experience on the webpage for this episode. Remember, improvement equals reflection plus action. What are you going to do now after listening to this episode? If you've enjoyed this episode, I've got three requests for you. First, if you'd like to receive future episodes, make sure to hit the subscribe button on your favorite podcast app so you'll never miss an episode. Subscribing also helps the podcast reach a wider audience and helps me to continue to produce high-quality content for the LMP community. I'd also be grateful if you can take a few minutes to leave a review on your favorite podcast platform. Reviews help the podcast reach a wider audience and attract more listeners who can benefit from this content. Plus, your feedback helps me improve the show. So if you have a moment, leave a review and let me know what you think. Last but not least, if you really like the show, I'd appreciate it if you could share the podcast with friends or colleagues directly or via social media. When you do, make sure to share one thing you learned. Remember, when you teach something, it's like you're learning it again.
That's all for today's episode of the Learning and Performance Podcast. I hope you found the things we discussed helpful and are thinking of ways you can apply them to enhance your learning and performance. Join us next time for another episode. And until then, keep on learning.